Welcome to the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 161. The title of this podcast is Eight Critical Keys to a Joy-Filled Life. It's not hyperbole. It is real. It can happen. It is a possibility. But there are eight critical keys that are also sequential keys. And as you understand these eight ideas and are able to practicalize them into your life, it does lead to a joy-filled life. And so I want to share these things with you, but it is imperative that you know that a joy-filled life does not just happen. You have to work at it. It's really following Paul's recipe in Philippians 2, where he said to work out your salvation with fear and trembling as God is working in you. It is a cooperative effort. In the divine mysteries of God, he has decided in eternity past that he wants us to have a responsibility in this role. Now, God is the primary person. We are the secondary people, but we have a role to play. This idea of sanctification, holiness, obedience, enjoyment with God, joy-filled life, it requires our activity, our actions, our behaviors, our working it out. So as God is working in you, you want to be working out your salvation. But the question is, well, how do I do that? Okay, I have a responsibility to work out my salvation with God. Which way do I go? North, south, east, west? What do I do? Give me some tools. Give me some direction. Give me clarity. Well, I hope this podcast will do that for you. It is episode 161, Eight Critical Keys to a Joy-Filled Life. And I would encourage you, if you can, come to our website, rickthomas.net, and get these show notes. I have an infographic here that will help you. In fact, I am going to walk through this infographic specifically. And if you can get to the show notes, episode 161, you're welcome to Get this graphic and look at it yourself. Study it in light of this podcast. But then I also have a short video here called Building Your Theological Pyramid. This is an excerpt video from a one-hour webinar that I did. I have a series that I do. It's a 10-part series, 10 hours of training. It's called Introduction to Biblical Counseling. And this is uh, lesson number seven. This is the seventh hour. And within that one-hour training, I do a short piece called The Theological Pyramid, building a, a, uh, a pyramid. In fact, you could think of it like steps. Eight critical keys, I said, or eight critical steps. There are eight elements to building your theological pyramid. And if you understand what I'm going to share with you, and you are actively, aggressively, practically applying these things into your life, you can have a joy-filled life. If you want to, you can watch the entire lesson number seven, one-hour uh, video, which is on our website, on the supporting member side. And then if you, you can also watch all 10 hours of the Introduction to Biblical Counseling. It would really benefit you. We've had some wonderful reviews from this training series and if you do have the time to devote, I would encourage you. It'd be excellent, practical Bible training. But I want to give you a small excerpt because even this excerpt from lesson number seven, will it will help you a lot. So if you can follow along, if you can get to the show notes, look at the infographic, watch this short video, 
uh, it'll give you the tools that you are looking for. The goal is to participate in the joy of the Lord in the context of community. And if you're not enjoying and participating in the joy of the Lord in the context of a Christ-centered community, well, then you do want to listen. And I would encourage you as well, for those of you who are soul care providers, you are disciplers, you're discipling people, we'll have them listen to this podcast and to get this infographic and begin doing homework, begin doing that hard discipline work to figure out how to apply these ideas into their lives. And so if you follow along with me, there are eight steps, eight keys, eight mile markers, and they do move in a progressive pattern. You can't skip any one of them. It would be detrimental to skip any one of them. And you must start at the beginning. And if you want to have a joy-filled life, where do you think, as far as a tool, a functional tool is concerned, where do you think you would begin? I hope you would say the Bible because that would be uh, your starting point. The Bible is foundational to our entire lives. There is nothing in this world. There's not another piece of literature, audio, video, any form of communication, any medium that tells us who God is except for the Bible. It is a unique, exclusive book. Everything that we know about God is derived from the Bible. So if you watch a movie that tells you about God or read another book about God, well, if that information is accurate, they have derived those thoughts out of the Bible. And so it is our source book. It is the manual. And you must be a master of the Bible. You must be mastered by the Bible. I do have an article here in the show notes, episode 161, Five Things to Know to Be Mastered by the Bible. It is an important article for you to read because the Bible is foundational. God breathed out His words to individuals who wrote them down. We ended up with 66 books that make up our Bible. It is not God's entire mind. God is omniscient. It would not be possible to capture everything that God knows and put it anywhere outside of God. But he did give us his entire mind on the things that we need to know in order to live well in his world. And so we have it in the Word of God. And so what you want to do is to have a, a growing, grateful affection for God's Word. Now, there are some things that we understand about God's Word, and I want to know if these things are true for you. You really need to believe these things about the Bible in order to benefit from the Bible. And so here are some questions and ideas for you to think about. One is that the Bible is inerrant. There are no errors in it. Do you believe that? That is the question. It is a watershed question. How you answer that question will determine the relationship that you are going to have about the Bible. Of course, the devil in Genesis 3 began to bring doubt about God's Word, and that's how it begins. If you do not believe that God's Word uh, is true and is without error, then your starting point will determine how you will end, and if you began doubting God... It would be like two ships starting side by side 
in any American port on the East Coast, and and then they'd be just appointed a, a couple degrees apart as far as their trajectory or direction is concerned. And by the time they get to whatever continent they are pointing toward, they will be thousands of miles apart, even though they started at the same place in the same port. And that's how it goes with the Bible. If you say it is inerrant, and the other person says it has errors in it, those two individuals cannot end up in the same place. And so do you believe the Bible is inerrant? Also, do you believe that it is sufficient? It is sufficient. It has everything that we need for life and godliness. These are important questions. You know, we can say, trust God, read your Bible, study the Bible, go to a Bible study, etc., But there are some foundational questions that you have to answer, or you should answer, before you enter into a Bible study, before you start studying the Bible. How do you think about the Bible? Do you believe it's inerrant? Do you believe that it is sufficient, that God has given us all we need? Do you believe it's authoritative? Now, that's a big one. Do you believe that what God says is true and it has authority over your life? And then a fourth aspect of the Bible is complete, plenary, full. I said this earlier that God has declared his full mind as far as what we need to know. He didn't leave anything out. Now that doesn't even that's not a the Bible's not a drop in the bucket to God's omniscient omniscience. Uh, but it is the drop, it is the complete drop that we need. It is full. And so how do you think about the Bible? That is the first critical key to a joy-filled life. And how, and depending on what your relationship is with God's Word, one of the ways that you could determine your relationship with God's Word is how you interact with it. How often, how consistently do you interact with it? If you're not a regular student of the Bible, if it's not a part of your meditation, I'm, I'm not talking about just digging into Scriptures and learning things. That's important. And I'll talk more about that later. But I am also talking about how you are reflecting or meditating your introspection about God's Word as you you take it and you chew on it. It becomes your meditation day and night. And you read a lot about this in the Psalms. The psalmist loved meditating on God's Word. In fact, Psalm 119 would be an excellent passage just to uh, read through casually taking your time, and it, it talks about the importance of God's Word. And so that is the foundational key to building a sound theological pyramid. Now, on top of the Bible, the very next element in this graphic that I have here in episode 161 is hermeneutics. Are you familiar with that word? It's a big word, but uh, it's something that you do all the time. The definition for hermeneutics could be the science and method of interpreting the Bible. It is a way to think about the Bible. Now, hermeneutics is not just for thinking about the Bible. It's for thinking about an email that you read, thinking about a conversation that you participated in, thinking about a sermon that you have heard, thinking about a political speech that you have listened to. Hermeneutics is a way of interpreting what you are reading or what you are hearing. For example, if someone wrote you a letter and it could say, like, 
I love you. And you could interpret that, you know, five or six, seven different ways. And so in hermeneutical principle is the way that you want to interpret that statement is you want to interpret in the context in which it was written. That's a hermeneutical principle. Now, there are many hermeneutical principles. For example, a non-contradictory principle, meaning the Bible does not contradict itself. So when you run into a passage of Scripture that seems like a contradiction, well, you know from your hermeneutical principles that the Bible does not contradict itself, and so that begins to bring shape as to how you're going to interpret this hard passage. Now, there are many hermeneutical principles, and you need to have a sound understanding of these concepts because, as you can imagine, what the problem could be if you do not for example, let's say that someone did not know that you interpret a word, a phrase, a sentence, a verse within the context in which it was written. Uh, we, I've seen this many times. You know, people will say, well, I just threw out a fleece. And that is their approach to biblical decision making. The Bible doesn't teach that. And where they make the mistake is they read an historical do- document, a narrative where in the Old Testament is talking about, they threw out a fleece, and it's just giving you a historical data point about what happened in this unique situation. Or in Moses threw a tree into the water, and it's bitter, it's not bitter. Well, if you have such a literal view of historical narrative, that means whenever you come up upon some water, just throw a tree on it, in it, and it, it will change. Or if you're trying to make a decision, you just throw a fleece out, and and something will happen, and that's how you make your decision. And that is awful, awful hermeneutics. And so having hermeneutical principles, you can imagine, you say, well, I love the Bible. It is foundational. I believe it's inerrant and sufficient and authoritative and complete, but I don't know how to interpret it because my hermeneutical principles are wacky. And so therefore, you have to have these filters that lay on top of the Bible. Second step, hermeneutics. Because nobody enters into a text objectively. It is impossible for a human being to look into a text, like diving into a swimming pool. When you dive into a text, you're going to dive into that pool or into that text subjectively, not objectively. And if you're not careful, you'll make it read whatever it is you want it to read, and that would be problematic. And so having hermeneutical principles are critical. Now, we have a link on our website that uh, leads you to a whole bunch of helpful books, almost a thousand of them. In fact, you'll see the drop-down on our website, and that's exactly what it says. It says helpful books. If you find that link on our website, you'll find, well, we have over a thousand helpful books, and some of those books are books on hermeneutics. And if you haven't studied hermeneutics, I would encourage you to do so so that you can build up this extensive understanding of hermeneutical principles so that when you do dive into Scripture, you don't misinterpret. So now you have this interpretive grid, a way of interpreting what you're reading. Now you want to read it. The next step, the third step, is called exegesis. A good word for exegesis, it kind of brings clarity to it. By the way, it has nothing to do with Jesus. It's exegesis, uh, E-X-E-G-E-S-I-S. A good word for exegesis is excavation. Excavation, where you dig into a passage of Scripture to see what it means. 
Exegesis is the opposite of eisegesis. Eisegesis is the theological term that means I have an idea out here in my mind, and I want to support it by Scripture. And so I have this idea that I want to hold on to, that I want to persuade other people with, but I want to support it by the Bible, and so I go and find a text that supports my idea. That's bad, by the way. That's called eisegesis. Exegesis is allowing the Bible to speak for itself. Let the Bible speak for itself. You want to be a sound exegete. Exegesis is like raking leaves in the fall time. Leaves are all over the ground. You take your rake, and you just start raking, and you want to get to the bottom of it all. And so when you enter into any word, phrase, sentence, verse, paragraph, chapter, book, Bible, however you enter into it, you want to make sure that you are a sound exegete. So the title of this podcast is Eight Critical Keys to a Joy-Filled Life. The first key is the Bible. What do you believe about it? Not just some superficial statement, I believe the Bible. Do you believe it's inerrant, sufficient, authoritative, complete? And then the second key is hermeneutics. Do you have sound hermeneutical principles? I, I can't overemphasize this. I've been doing counseling for a long time. And I've heard a lot of people say a lot of wacky things based on the Bible. Unfortunately, the Bible doesn't teach the wacky things that they say because they don't understand hermeneutics. And then point number three is exegesis. Exegesis is the excavation of the meaning of the text. And so you want to be a sound exegete. You have a way of interpreting it. Now you're digging in it. You're building it out. Now what's going to happen from your exegetical work is you're going to begin to build a biblical theology. A biblical theology, it, it is a, a theology, a way of understanding according to the writers and the context of the Bible. For example, you could do a deep study in uh, Paul's theology in the New Testament. You could do a study of the first five books of the Bible, or the poetical books, or the writings of John, and you'll begin to see how they distinguish themselves from each other, or how this section is different from this section because of a different time, different context, different chronology, different writer, different meanings, and you'll begin to build these somewhat isolated theologies that will help you to see a larger scope and comprehensiveness of the Bible that comes from your exegetical work. But then on top of your biblical theology, you'll begin to build a systematic theology. This is point number five. Systematic theology, or ST, is different from biblical theology. Systematic theology is not isolated portions of Scripture that develop a theology, but systematic theology takes everything the Bible says on a specific topic. We call them doctrines. For example, the doctrine of the Bible itself. That's called bibliology, the doctrine of God, theology, the doctrine of the Son, Christology, the doctrine of the Spirit, pneumatology, the doctrine of man, anthropology, and so on. We have the doctrine of sin, doctrine of the church, doctrine of end times. And so there are many doctrines or topics. 
It's a systematic theology. Let's say you wanted to know what the Bible has to say about sin, for example. Well, systematic theology takes everything the Bible says and puts it in one place. A a systematic textbook, theology textbook, is kind of like an encyclopedia. And so if you wanted to study the doctrine of Christ, Christology, you would just open up to that section in that textbook, and it would have God's complete mind, according to the Bible, about Christ. It's all in one place. And so from the Bible, you have hermeneutical principles. And then you begin excavating, exegesis, digging out all these ideas and interpreting them. You begin to build a biblical theology, and then you are building a systematic theology, different doctrines uh, uh, different doctrines in the Bible. The Bible, God, Son, Spirit, Man, Sin, Church, End Times. All of these things that I've mentioned thus far are how to study the Bible, basically. It's how to, these are elements that you incorporate together that gives you a comprehensive understanding. You're coming at God's Word from several different angles and using uh, proven methods in order because what you don't, you want to be precise. You don't want to be imprecise. You want to get it right. And it is precisely because of our lack of adherence to these ideas that we make the Bible mean all kinds of things that honestly it doesn't mean, and that will have a direct impact on the life that you live. Because the very next step, number six, is practical theology. And so here's the order of the eight steps thus far. Number one, Bible. Number two, hermeneutics. Number three, exegesis. Number four, biblical theology. Number five, systematic theology. And you're always incorporating these ideas forever until you see Jesus. And then what pours out of that is your application. Now you're going to apply all of this knowledge. One of the worst things you can do is stop right at systematic theology in these eight eight critical keys or eight sequential steps. You can stop at systematic theology and just be a theological nerd. Just be, <clears throat> excuse me, just be filled with knowledge. And you know what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8? He says that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes you arrogant. And un- unfortunately, we have a lot of people who love studying the Bible, but they are ignorant when it comes to the application of the Bible, and that is dangerous. I mean, I would imagine one of the most astute Bible scholars is the devil himself. And so it is dangerous if you stop at Bible study, but it is one of the biggest problems that we have in Christianity is we don't know how to transition from all the information, and we can be as sound as, as, as you could possibly be, but we don't know how to transition to the application or practical theology. Counseling is the application of Bible knowledge. That's what biblical counseling is. We are digging into the, or dipping into the well of a person's knowledge, a person's Bible knowledge, and we're teaching them how to apply it. If the person doesn't have sound Bible knowledge, then we have to do two things at the same time. 
We have to build a foundation, a biblical foundation, and then we have to teach them how to apply it. But if you're counseling somebody who has a a somewhat sound biblical understanding of the Bible, well, it's not as hard from a counseling perspective because you're not building a substructure and applying it at the same time. But practical theology is the sound, mature, and wise application of the Bible to your life. And if all you have is knowledge and you're not that great at applying the knowledge, then there is something wrong with you, something wrong with your relationship with God. Honestly, there's something wrong with your understanding of the Bible because some people even think the Bible is just a magic book. All I have to do is study it memorize it, hide it in my heart, and I won't sin. No, you can hide it in your heart and send your brains out if you don't know how to practically apply it. Can't overemphasize this idea of practical application. Point number six. Point number seven is exportation. God does not want us to be a Dead Sea Christian where we just pour it into ourselves. That's kind of like the problem that I've been talking about, where we just take all this knowledge and we just pour it into ourselves, but we have horrible marriages and horrible relationships with our children, and we're not that great in other relationships as well, but but bless God, we know Greek, we know Hebrew, we can exegete a passage of Scripture. No, we need to not only apply it to our lives, but we want to export it to others. That's at the heart of the Great Commission, going out and teaching others, not just evangelizing. We do want to evangelize Come to Jesus, let me show you how. But then we also want to teach them everything that Jesus taught us. Sharing your life with Christ as derived from the Bible and practically applied. That's point number seven. And then point number eight, well, that's the last point, is joy. In a word, is joy. Participating in the joy of the Lord in the context of community. If you believe the Bible is inerrant, sufficient, authoritative, and complete, it is God's word for you. If you have built hermeneutical principles to where you can enter into the text and interpret it accurately, if you're growing in your exegetical work, you can look at a word, you can take it in context, a phrase, a sentence, a verse, a chapter, a book, a Bible, if you are growing in your ability to exegete a passage of Scripture, and you're developing all of these, this biblical theology from all over the Bible, what does this section mean in that section and that writer versus that writer, and you're growing in your biblical theology, and then you're getting this comprehensive view, systematic theology. What does the Bible say about God, about the Son, about the Spirit, about humanity, about sin, about church, about eschatology, end times? and you're growing in your understanding of that, all of that needs to flow like a mighty gushing river into the practical life that you live in a day-to-day basis. Now you are a functioning, practical Christian. You got your head screwed on straight. You're not double-minded, and you know how to engage each other. You know how to engage the world from a, a theologically precise worldview. Well, The next thing you want to do is you want to export all that to others. It is through the exportation. There's another benefit here that's kind of hidden. 
Uh, but it's implied. Yes, most definitely you're going to help people when you export it. But the teacher always learns more than the student. And so the more that you are discipling, the more that you are teaching, training people practically, the more you're going to begin to own these ideas yourself. You have to work harder as a teacher than a student does. You have to know more. You have to really understand what you are exporting. Now, if you don't have a practical life to export, well, then you're not going to do well at discipleship. Some people, all that they export is Bible knowledge. They are Bible teachers. Now, there's nothing wrong with Bible teachers. I'm not totally throwing you under the bus. But we need to export more than the Bible because what we'll end up with is just more smart people in the Bible but they don't know how to practically apply it. And so your practical theology is the application of all this knowledge. Now you are exporting not just the knowledge, but you are exporting the practicalization of the Bible into a person's life. When you do that, as you are doing that, you will begin to enter into a true joy of the Lord in the context of community And that is the eight critical keys to a joy-filled life. Let me encourage you to look at this infographic. Watch this short video that walks through in a a shorter way, just a few minutes of what I'm talking about. And then take these show notes, the graphic, the video. Get with a friend and see which element that you're weak in. And of course, if you want to talk to us about these things, we're waiting on you. Get on our website. Let's talk. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.